Um, no, I get the pleasure of sharing today. And, well, that's how it started out. Oh, yeah, it'll be really good. And then I realized it's quite a tough one. Because <laughs> um, I get to speak about Father's Day to women. They clearly aren't fathers. Um, I get to speak to people who aren't fathers about Father's Day. Uh, and I get to speak to people who are fathers about Father's Day. And, yeah, right, make all that work. Okay. And, and then also, I was looking, I seen on Facebook, Leslie actually shared something really nicely on Facebook when she was posting the link. And it says, for those who have lost their dad, who have grown up without their dad, and for the mums who are both mum and dad, there was a wee link in something to help there. It's a really hard time. And, and I, I have to declare from the start, I am a son who adores my father. My father was around and is around, and, and I dote on him. He is my hero um, in more ways than people know. And, but I get that's not everybody's experience. I get it. So stick with me a bit today as I try this. Um, some of this stuff will stick straight away. You'll be like, Doom. yep, that's for me. I'll take it. Some of the stuff you're going to have to reach for a wee bit um, because I can't keep on saying to mums, to uncles, to brothers, to cousins, to people who aren't biological fathers. I can't, I can't keep on defining it over and over again. So reach for it. If I use the word father, reach and say, am I in a fathering role? Am I an uncle who can do that, not just look after the dog? Am I, um, you know, am I someone of influence? Am I a father to the, the children's friends? Am I a father figure in that role? Or am I a mother who can look into stuff with them boys? background and things or be opportunities to look in there. So reach and put you into the picture because I can't keep putting everybody into the, into the picture perfectly. Um, but this is something I've been thinking about for a while. It actually got me in trouble one day. I'm a youth worker and I work for Belfast YMCA. Most of my work is in schools until schools close and then I work twice as hard outside of school. And I was with a sixth form group and I was, the teacher was there and he says, you know what, I've been thinking about young boys a lot recently. And the teacher turns and looks at me. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll give you the definition I'm going to give to you. Um, I've been thinking that idea um, about men, about boyhood to manhood. What's that transition from boyhood to manhood? What happens there? Um, where do you kill your first land in our culture, in our country? Um, and I say kill your first land, you know, in some cultures it was, here's your spear, off you go, complete this task, which is kill a land. When you bring it back, then you're a man. Where do we have that? Where's that transition for our, for our boys? And is it an age thing? Is it when we leave school? Yep, there you go, you're now a man. Is it when we can vote? Is it when we can drive? Is it when we can drink? Is it when we can take drugs? Is it when we steal our first car? Is it when we sleep with our first girl? Is it when we get married? Is it when we ha when is it? Who's telling us all these things of when you become a man when this happens? And, and I don't know. But the more I've thought about it and the more I've been sort of considering it, I'm getting the idea that this is not an event. It's not a one-time deal of, yep, there's your driving license, now you're allowed to go. It's not a one-time deal of, like, yep, you're 18, you're now classed as, like, I work on residentials, and we have people turning 18 on residential. So at one point, it's okay for them to stay in the room with all the other people in the group, but the next day, no, it's not, no, you can't stay there. You know, it's that switchover. Um, I don't think it's that. I think it's a process. Because events can be forgotten. They are important and significant, but they can be forgotten. And I think that the importance and the significance wanes over time. So this is less an event. This is about a transition, a process of transformation, uh, a journey of initiation. This isn't an adventure from this boyhood to manhood. 
some of John Eldridge's stuff I've been reading has been helpful in giving me a vocabulary to think and put this um, thinking around. And it's a little bit American. And what I mean by that is it just rings true for somebody else in a different culture. It doesn't say that what he's talking about isn't true, but just the words that are used are maybe a little bit more suited for an American audience. But we'll talk about that and we'll define it our own way. And he suggests that um, guys go through different stages. And this process, this journey, this adventure happens from boyhood to the cowboy, there's an American word, to the knight, to the king, to the siege, and the lovers thrown in there as well. But and we're not going to go through all of these today, but we can't, there's far, far too much in it. Um, but that word of, I'm going to concentrate on boyhood, and then the cowboy, he calls it. But I, I, I don't like the word cowboy, it makes me think of the westerns my dad loves. You know, the ones where they're sitting in the high chaparral and high noon and all the sort of old proper cowboy films, not the remakes, they're not quite as good. Like the John Wayne ones are even back even further. Um, it doesn't work, that picture of cowboy. Um, for me, maybe a better word is ranger. That stage, if you're trying to describe it, you've got the boyhood, you've got a ranger stage like Lord of the Rings. But before he comes Aragorn, we've got Strider, who's the ranger, who's out with the dark hood, sitting doing his adventures. That's the stage we're thinking of here. Game of Thrones is probably more up to date, where you've got Jon Snow going to the wall, and his uncle is the first ranger. He's the guy that goes beyond the walls and has the adventures. So the boyhood to that stage. If you're looking for a biblical term, shepherd is probably the one which fits more biblically. My shepherd doesn't work for us because was it one man and their dog and it shh, shh, come by, come back doesn't really give you this idea of an adventurous life. Um, or with kids with tea towels in their head going, hi Jesus, here's a gift. You know, don't don't let me ruin the nativity. I'll, I'll get started on that another day. But that idea of shepherd actually works out with David. Um, I'm working through um, the Bible in a year, it's great, and we're in the middle of David's stories. And here, here's what a shepherd looks like. David is the youngest son, he looks after his dad's sheep. Yep, dead on. The older boys are off of Saul, and they're doing the army thing. And the armies are faced up. The Philistines are on one side, the Israelites on the other. And then this nine-foot giant waltzes out and goes, I'm their champion. Goliath stands there and goes, no way we're going to sort this, boys. We're not going to do two armies fighting. Give me your best man, and whoever wins, wins. If I beat you, then you're, you're on our team. Yeah. And if you beat me, <laughs> dead on. And then you win, that's it. And this has been going on for a month of a standoff. And nobody's, I can think of lots of phrases, nobody's got the guts to stand up and say, yeah, I'll take you on. And then David comes up, this kid who looks after his dad's sheep, comes up and he's taking supplies back and forward to the brothers and he hears it. He says, what's this? He says, that's Goliath. He says, what is he doing? Well, he's slabbering about God. He's slabbering about the Israelites. He wants to take us on, but, but nobody's going to stand up to him. And remember Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo? Let me at him. Let me at him. It was one of those ones. And David's like, give me a go at him. And he ends up in front of Saul, and Saul's like, you're not qualified for this. He says, I'm not qualified. I'm a shepherd. And he goes, I come back. No, I'm a shepherd. Do you see when the lambs come and steal the sheep? I go and get them. And if the lamb turns on me, I take the lamb down too. And I've done it. See when the bear comes and steals the sheep? I go and take the bear. I've killed the lamb and the bear. And this boy's no different. And even better than that, God's a mighty. And he's slobbering about God. So I have no fear. That's probably the stage, the shepherd stage, which John Eldridge is using as a cowboy. We'll probably call the ranger. Put in whatever word, shepherd, ranger, adventure, whatever you want to be. But we're going to kick off with boyhood. Um, this is the time for affirmation. 
This is the time when the boy needs to know that they are loved in a special way. And we needed to know that. We need to know that. I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. Um, I've seen one of those t-shirts from NIT's Father of Hallions. I should have got that, you know. Um, it's not, not Mother of Dragons, but that. And I tell them over and over every day, I love you. Over and over, they're told it daily. And it's not twee, but it's intentional. And my boys know that I love them. And I'm glad they do. Um, they hear it, and they experience it. They experience it with the hugs, the kisses, the wrestles, the stopping what I'm doing and paying attention to what they want. And it's like, Daddy, come and see me with this here. And it's like, yeah, and you go and pay attention. And then Reuben, my middle one, he, he calls me when I don't do it. Daddy, have a look at this and watch me. And I'm like, yeah, know when you're on your phone doing something really important, going through your emails? Yeah, okay, yeah, see. So. Um, or you're looking at Instagram or Facebook or whatever other things that you do. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm watching TV. Or he calls me on <laughs> And he says, Daddy, Daddy, look at me. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Show me your eyes. And I'm like, what a great way of saying it. It's like, show me your eyes. And, you look, and he says, my eye is open. You've got it. You're right, son. See that email? It doesn't really matter. See all those messages that Paul sent me? I don't need to reply to them right now. My eye is on you. And I give him that. And he asks for it. No, it's not the whole time where they just run the show. Life needs to go on. But constantly they are told and reminded, you're loved. And they experience that being loved. And when I come home from work, I started with Daniel, and not my oldest, and now I passed on to Reuben, where they do falling over hugs. Daniel's getting a big, big. He's going to clean me out one of these days, so we've had to calm him down. We, I just sit in my bum, and he, Reuben just bombs at me, hard as he can, runs straight full pelt, knowing I'm going to get him, and as I get him, I grab him, and then <laughs> push myself. Sorry for the recording of that statement. Um, but I fall back as if he is just the strongest force I've met that day, and he scoots me across the floor, and he loves it. Um, he loves what it is. And I'm sure you've got your way of letting the boys know that they are the beloved son. They are loved, that they are something special. They are the apple of your eye. I'm sure you've got it. Um, please be intentional about telling them it. Please let them know intentionally how you, whatever way you do it, you do it. Um, not, oh, they know. They know. It's probably an old school way. Um, yeah. God has been um, saying that to me and to us. Um, I'll just jump, jump into a few verses. And you don't need to go through them and read them all, but you can go back at your, at your leisure if you re-listen to this recording. You know, in 2 Corinthians 16, 18, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters. I will be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters. God sets up this model of fatherhood and children and said this is a good model to look at how I am your father. Now, that's if the model works. It's a good way to look at it. He's setting up and said, this is appropriate. I reckon I have learned more about God by being a dad than my time in Bible college than any other things I've been looking at. There's something different about experiencing that. And God's setting up this model and said, this model's a useful model to look at if it's modeled right. If it's not modeled right. Hmm. Um, Galatians 4, 6, and 7. I've set my spirit in you. You're my children. I've moved you from slavery to sons and daughters to heirs. And the heart cries out, Abba, Father. That idea of I want that relationship. And he's setting it out and he's programming it through here. Going, this is good. This is a good model. You know, Jeremiah 31. Oh, yeah. 
sorry, I need a full table for all this stuff here. Jeremiah 31. Um, this is God doing lots of declaring. This declares the Lord, this declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says, and we skip down to, to verse 20. Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him, and I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. Ephraim's another word here for Israel, for the children of God, for God's people. Do not long after my people. Stick your name in that and see how it changes it. Is not Brian my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, because they get it wrong sometimes and need corrected, but I still remember him. I haven't forgotten him. I don't throw him away and say I'm done. Therefore, my heart yearns for Bran. I have great compassion for Bran, and God's declared it. We set this out. Um, God's on that, and uh, wanting to set out that model of fatherhood and the beloved son, the beloved child. Um, God's answering the question of I am loved, I am important. But I think actually it was in Father of God, John Elvich's book, my, my heart nearly stopped watching this wee video. I haven't seen that clip as a start. It was, he was talking to a friend, and the friend was telling about his childhood. And it was that bit of passing the note under the door. His dad was a workaholic, and his dad worked, and it was in a study, and the door was closed. The boy sat in the hall and slid notes under the door to his dad. Nothing came back. Nothing came back. What does that boy hear when that note that that dad took so much time to write and talked about, when it doesn't come back, you're not loved. It's not worth it. You're not worth it. You're not worthy of my love. You're not special. These cause a wound. You know that times when you're meant to be feeling all the love but you don't get it? That doesn't happen for a workaholic, alcoholic, different reasons all the way through. You pick whatever story or version goes in there. There's lots of reasons why that isn't. You're not the beloved son for some reason. And that wound, that hurt happens, even though God has spoke to it and says, I want to not be that wrong model. I don't want to be the father of lies story. I want to be the proper father to you. Um, yeah, that, that needs a bit of healing if it's, if it's your story. If we look back at what our lives as boys were like, or more importantly, what they were meant to be like, so much of how we approach life as men was set in motion in our youth. Some good, some not so good. We want to recover and celebrate what was good, and we need to find healing for the stuff that was not so good. Or we don't get to move with confidence through the different stages of life. If we don't know we are God's beloved sons, then when challenging and testing comes, it feels like rejection feels like punishment. It feels harsh. It feels cold-hearted because we haven't been told you're the beloved son. And when the testing comes, we're found wanting. We need to know we are beloved sons and daughters. We are beloved by our father. And we need to show our sons, particularly and our daughters, that they are loved. We need to start moving quick, quick. Um, let's move into that cowboy stage, shepherd stage, adventure. Um, Luke 2.52 is the story when Jesus is at the temple. Uh, and he gets lost. He's off on that adventure for a couple of days. Family doesn't see him. But it goes on to he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with the Lord and with men. And this is the growing up stage. This is the bit. You know, 
There's no time stage, age to these stages of manhood or boyhood or whatever it's going to be in the life. But if you had to put it somewhere around, you're talking early teens, 12, 13, in the mid-20s. Something like this is where people should be moving in. And there's a question here, not that I'm the, am I the beloved son, am I the loved child, which is the question in the childhood stage. Do I have what it takes is the question that's being asked here. Um, my question was, are you good enough? Do you have what it takes? And I moved school in P4, uh, midterm, not even at the start of the year, and I joined halfway through P4 into a new school. And it was cool, but I was the new kid. Football was the thing the boys done. I was crap at football. <laughs> Before school, break time, lunch time, football, football, football. And the other kid that gets picked last, I wasn't even that kid. I was the kid that was left to last and going, no, he has to be on your team. Because he's actually worse than being last. He's, he's a deficit. We'll take one less player, you take him. I'm like, right, okay. My question, am I good enough? How was that being answered? <laughs> Very well at that point. I had a plan. I'll be your goalkeeper. What? Nobody had, Nobody had said this before. This was new. Nobody wants to do nets. Why is he saying he wants to do nets? That means nobody on our team ever has to go into nets. He's going to be there the whole One of the first picks. Hmm. It's the P7 after me. I'll be your goalkeeper because I just want to play. I just want to have a few friends. Um, oh, yeah, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but I've got over it. It's okay. God's told me lots of things, so I've got over it with that. But P7 comes down. School football competition, five aside, indoor. I'm the goalkeeper. We'll get all the way through to the final because even though I was wicked with some really good players in the team, and uh, we drew with the other big school. It's like, oh, we drew. Penalty shootout in the final. The goalkeeper, who was never getting picked, stands there in the nets, dives this way, the ball goes that way, dives this way, the ball goes that way. I was like, okay, comes down to the final shot. And I would say I dove, but I kind of fell over, right? And, and then hit me, and the ball bounced off me at some point and bounces out. Everybody goes, yeah, and cheers, and I'm like, yeah, getting this question of, am I good enough? Answered really well. Yes, you're good enough. Of course you're good enough. Because you have saved the penalty in the final. Now, it was no you know, Champions League final. It was no Istanbul. It was, um, it was a P7 football competition. <laughs> and when I went the first year, I was found wanting because I really was wicked. Um, but I found my place, that question being answered in different ways. Rugby was my thing. So my teacher, we played rugby at school. It was a football school. He says, Brian, there's not enough here for you. Let's take you to a really good club. So they brought me to Malone, one of the best clubs. And... Uh, um, so the Craigie Red Sox is where I'd done my time. And I went over there two, three, I was there three times a week, six buses a week back and forward. And I got to go and play there, win the club's cup, the school's cup version of the club's version of it. Win that. I got to get on the Ulster squad. I played sevens in Cardiff Arms Park. I got that question of do you have what it takes? Answered well. I was in the cadets. Um, I wanted to do this. I had to wait and wait and be old enough. And then I went through the shooting. They wanted to learn how to shoot. They taught me how to shoot. It was amazing. Um, I got to go camping out. I got to read maps, do first aid, go up and down mountains. I could dress up as a soldier and that was the point. I got to do all this different stuff and I was getting the question answered. Yes, you've got what it takes. At one point I was the highest ranking cadet in Northern Ireland. I turned the queen down twice for her garden parties. You know, I was getting that question answered. <laughs> you have got what it takes. You're laughing. I did. Well, my exams were on so I couldn't really go. Um, but <laughs> I was getting that question answered, yes. And that's what this stage is about. Do you have what it takes? <laughs> if it isn't accompanied with, do you have what it takes? Yes, you have what it takes. 
It turns into the Peter Pan stage. It turns into cliff jumping and skydiving, and that's it. It needs to be accompanied with hard work. The stage where you knuckle down and do your work, where you get a job or a part-time job, or you do whatever needs to be done. That idea of hard work, I was up for it. You know, I was off setting up show jumps. I was working early hours, the late nights. I was doing different things. So that idea of hard work attached to that, yes, I have what it's, it takes, uh, means I didn't get stuck in the stage of just wanting to play it over and over again, of the adventure with no moving on. Um, but there's a wound that comes here if the boy is never allowed to be the adventurer. Um, and it also comes if the work is too hard. If somebody puts too much on you, tells you this is what you need to be, there's a wound. But also, no, 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 you can't do that. Right, Jude and I play this out regularly um, with the boys. Daddy, can I play with your saws and your tools and your drills? I thought, yeah, yeah, go for it. Here's how you do it, right? Um, and Jude's like, Ran, um, did, did you allow them to have those saws? Yeah. And she's like, right, okay. Um, <laughs> because we're on the same team, yep, so we, we, we have a united front. And then one cuts their hand and they got the big scar marks all over it. And it's like, Mal, I'll take those away. Okay, put them away now, <laughs> the plaster's out. And I push her on the thing of like, yeah, let them go, let them go. And she's like, mm, pull them back, pull them back. And we keep each other in that equilibrium when there's not too much freedom and there's not too much, no, no, you can't do that. Especially with the tools, which are dangerous. That's the point. They're dangerous. No, I don't give them chainsaws and table saws and say, yeah, knock yourself out or cut off a limb or whatever, but it's appropriate. Um, because if the answer is always no to playing with the dangerous stuff, that answer gets interpreted as you don't have what it takes. You're not safe enough. You can't be doing this. You can't be trusted. No, parenting, there is wisdom in it where we take our time and do this at the right time. Our job is here is to arrange times through adventure and hard work when the question is on the line and it comes back with a yes. It's not too hard and it's not too easy. The bar isn't so low that they don't have to do anything, but it's not so high that they can't reach it. There has to be a challenge. God wants to do that with us. He wants to create the adventures where we get that yes answered to do I have what it takes, God? Do I have what it takes? I'm going to start to wrap things up. Um, there's this journey into manhood. It starts with the beloved son and then goes into the adventure with the hard work. But here's the thing. God wants to father you and wants to father you well. No matter what your experience of model of fatherhood was, he wants to do it well. If you didn't experience that beloved childhood, the special one, when you were young, he wants to go back and he wants to heal that and say, you are, if you let him tell you. God wants you to do this for other young boys around you. He wants you to call that out on them, to say you're special and to remind them constantly they are beloved, even if they're not your kids. Do this. Put the model right. God wants to give you experiences of adventure. He wants to show you and give you chances where you know you have what it takes. You may need to look back and be reminded and find healing for some of the things or be called back to the points of, I had what it took. Yeah, I've got this. If it wasn't answered well, you need it healed or you need reminded of when it was answered well. God wants us to create opportunities um, for our young men, for our young people to find out that they have what it takes. Um, even though, especially when it's dangerous, when there's risk attached, how do we create those opportunities for them? There's things to remember and there's things to be healed. And that would be a good time to talk about some of those. Paul.